when you came in, hopefully someone handed you a sheet of paper. It says on the bottom, a discipleship guide. On one place, it says, one side says sermon notes, and the other side says life group questions. And if you're new, what that is, is every week uh, we go through a passage of scripture, figure out what it means for our life, and then we have life groups that meet throughout the week in people's homes and in different places and uh, talk about what those things mean to their life, what they learned in, in the service on a Sunday. And so you can follow along, fill the blanks in, but that's what's going on if you're new. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9 uh, about something that Jesus did that you and I are called to do. I'll read it aloud and you can follow along on the screen. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, that's that's you and me, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. I'm going to talk to you today about five shifts that you are going, you and I are going to need to make if we're going to be people who make a difference. Five shifts that we're going to have to make uh, in our life. Now, I've got a, I've got a question, um, and it's, it's an honest question, and I think it's a question everybody needs to ask on some level. And the question is this, who is it in our day and time that is in charge of making sure that the needs of people are met? Who who is it that's got it as their job description somewhere, some group of people surely has this as their job description, uh, that they're supposed to be making a difference? Maybe we would say, well, that's the politician's job. I I mean, maybe, I guess. Really, what they're doing, though, is writing laws in place and trying to put policies in place. I'm I'm sure that's part of the intent. I don't don't know exactly. I'm not a politician. Uh, Or maybe you say, well, it's business owners. You know, they they give jobs to people and they they, they give people dignity. And if they do it right, yeah, they, they do all that. But at the end of the day, a business owner is in it to make money. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. They benefit and all these other good things happen and... Uh, maybe you'd say, well, isn't it the school's job? I mean, isn't that why we send our kids to school or have them do e-learning in our living rooms and lose our minds for this entire week? Can I get an amen? I'm just, I'm just <laughs> confessing, right? <laughs> isn't that the job of the schools? Like they educate kids? I mean, isn't that what they're supposed to say? Well, I mean, kind of, but they're really, they, at the end of the day, they're trying to teach kids to a test and I don't, I don't know if any of those groups of people are the ones that have it as their job description to make sure that people are having their needs met. Who, who has it in their job description? Who, who are the people in our society that make sure that that happens? I, I, I have this conviction that whoever meets the needs of human beings, whoever meets the needs of the human heart always wins the day. Now, uh, you won't be surprised when I tell you this. I am, these are all leading questions, obviously. That Jesus says that there is a group of people that do have it as their job description to be the ones who make a difference. You know who that group of people is? It is the church, God's people. You and I are the ones to do that. Now, maybe you've never heard this phrase. 
Uh, but at the end of Jesus' uh, time with us on earth, that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, Jesus gives to his disciples, his followers, the church, a, a, a great commission is what it's called, the great commission. And maybe you've heard that phrase before, maybe you never have. Uh, but this is what the Great Commission is. We're going to put it on the screen for you, and it's also in your uh, sermon notes right there. Uh, this is what Jesus, the end of his life. Think about the end of your life, the message you want to send, the most important message you could pass on. You know this is it. This is the last time someone's going to verbally hear you say something. This is what Jesus leaves his followers to do. Go and make disciples of one or two nations. No, what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to go to church on Sunday. Right? Teach them to have a personal spirituality that doesn't affect other people. Right? No, no, what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're, we're to teach the church. It's our job description to teach people to do everything that Jesus did. Man, if you had a group of people who had it as their mission to do everything that Jesus did throughout the week, unstoppable force. So who is the Great Commission meant for? Let's just answer that question. Is it meant for the church, the organization, uh, the professionals, the, the ones that uh, do this with their life? All the, is, that who, is that who it's for? Is it just for those people? Or is the Great Commission for the church, the people, you? The Great Commission is for you. You are a minister. Now, there are four basic skills that a minister needs and that we've been talking about this over this series that you need to, you need to learn to listen carefully to people. Um, you need to be able to welcome the other. You have to be a person of hospitality. Um, you need, like we talked last week, about how to guide people with wisdom. And then today, we're going to talk about how you need to be ready to meet needs and make a difference uh, in, in your world. We're, we're going to talk about that today. But there's, a, there's an important distinction that I need to make because whenever we talk about things like this, and I want to always remind us of this, uh, we're always getting ourselves in the mindset of thinking that we are earning God's love and favor, that our value is based on what we accomplish and that God is more pleased with us the more we do and less pleased with us the less. There's just something in the human heart that always feels like there's brownie points and we've got to earn our way. And, and at no point in, when we say this is what we're called to do, are we in any way earning God's favor? This is not about your value. You need to understand that your value doesn't change. Your value to God is never in question. If you, are, if you had a dirty quarter... That sat, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, in the cup holder for six months getting whatever your children leave on it. Or you had a brand new shiny quarter that you took in to McDonald's. It wouldn't matter which of those quarters you took into McDonald's. Why? They both have the same value. You don't have a different value to God based on whether you're sitting in a life group in someone's living room or you're sitting in a room like this or you're sitting on a bar stool. Your value to God is the same. You are so valuable to God that he gave his life for you, that he laid down his life on a cross for you. Your value to God is never, ever in question. You need to know that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And anytime you're trying to say, okay, I'm going to respond to what Jesus said and I'm going to put it into practice, you are never proving to God how valuable you are to him. That is forever finished in God's mind. Your value is incalculable to God. 
And, and you're not, God's not going to go, oh, finally, you finally did what I asked. I think that you're valuable. No, no, your value is never in question. What we're talking about here is about your effectiveness. Because you could sit and be the quarter that never gets spent and leave it up to somebody else. I mean, that's not my job. It's somebody else's job. And you could never grow in your ability to make a difference. And so this, is, this whole series about you, you being effective with what God gave you. Now, I'm not the judge of what God gave you. I don't know all the skills and abilities and talents God gave you. And Jesus tells several different parables. Um, one of them is, is uh, um, I'll call it the parable of investments. It's called the parable of the talents, but that gets confused. And, and he talks about how one guy got five and another guy got two and one guy got one. And, and I, I don't know how many, how many gifts and abilities and talents and resources God has blessed you. I don't know. And I'm not the judge of that. I'm not the decider of what, what you do. In the parable, though, Jesus wanted the people to take what they had been given and multiply it. And so whatever, whatever you have been given by God, you can take that and make a maximum kingdom impact with whatever God has given you. You, you can do that. You are called to that. Uh, Jesus told another parable, the parable of the soils, about this man going and sowing seed. And, and he said the one that you're looking for is the guy who sowed the seed and it returned 30, 60, 100 fold. So you can think about it like this. Because of your life, 30 or 60 or 100 people could be following Jesus because of your life. And, and here's, here's a thought experiment for you. And I'm not saying this is exactly the case because together we are the body of Christ. Together we are the church. But if you were to act as the Great Commission is up to you, and if, if we just based it on what you do and, and how you go throughout your week on Monday morning and how you see work, and would, would the Great Commission get done? If it was just up to you. Again, I'm not, it's not up to you. It's, did you see the thought experiment? You are greatly commissioned by God. That's the blank if you want to fill that in. You are greatly commissioned by God. You are invited to share the mission of God. God, your Father, looks at you and says, I have put so many abilities and talents in you, and you have such value that I want you to join me in this. God has tremendous respect for you and invites you to join him in his mission of making a difference in the world. You're invited. It's like, yeah. Now, all around us is uh, unbelievable need. Uh, in the Christmas offering, you gave a little over $53,000 um, to uh, several different groups of people, and um, I, I'm really proud of you for that. I read through this week, I read through some of the submissions. I don't, they don't come to me, they come to a team of people and I asked to see them and I read through some of the, the needs that people said, hey, here's someone we want to nominate in the Christmas offering. And it's like, I was like, what? I mean, it, it, was a, it was a story of a little kid who, this family moved here and um, he, someone from his school nominated him and he wore the same clothes every day and he wasn't eating and the people in his school made sure he had clothes and, and you gave money to that family. To, there's a story of somebody who had cancer. The dad was the only one working and he got cancer and then he couldn't work and then the family's all like, how are we going to pay our bills? And I mean, it was like story after story. We don't ever see that level of need. You go to Meyer and you look around and you go like, oh, everybody's fine. They're doing great. Look at, look at them. They're smiling. Everything's fine. No, no, no. Under the surface is this raw human need. Need never takes a snow day. Need is never snowed in. Uh, need always is there, and it's Jesus' mission to meet the needs of the people 
that he encounters through you. I'm going to give you some of the, the ways Jesus thought about himself. Uh, we've got some scriptures that I'm going to just show you what Jesus said about himself. Uh, Luke 19.10, Jesus said, referring to himself, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, uh, maybe you have all kinds of different meanings that come into your mind when you hear that word lost, but it has two meanings. Uh, one, it means the people who are just destroyed by life. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then it means the people who are separated from God. It's, it's, it's referring to the people who say, man, if one more thing happens in my life, I'm done. I got nothing left. I got nothing in the tank. I am done. And then below that, below that need that people articulate, there's a need underneath the need, which is the need for God. It's the need that's driving all the other needs. And so Jesus said it like this, John 3:17. We quote John 3:16, but this is the next verse that Jesus said this. God sent God sent the Son, Jesus, into the world not to, what's the word? Condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus didn't come to condemn the world and tell it to suck it up. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world and tell it to get its act together. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world and tell it to do a bit better and express heaven's disappointment. That's how we all, like so many people motivate through disappointment. I'm just so disappointed in you. That's not how Jesus operated, ever. Not once. In fact, when you're lost, the last thing you need is someone condemning you for where you're currently at. And Jesus didn't come to add another stone of condemnation. He came to save people. Now get this. This is what Jesus says in John 20, 21. He says, so as the Father has sent me into the world to do those things, I am sending you. The church, then, is the extension of Jesus' mission. We're the franchise of heaven. We're the, we're the outpost of grace. Like, you've seen all those Old West movies about how they would go out and they would put a fort out as an outpost uh, out there, and it was a haven of safety and security, and uh, it would carry the flag and the values of, of the, the home country, and, and that's us, right? We're the, we're the ones carrying the values and the safety of heaven. We're the outpost of grace in the world. We're the franchise of heaven. That means you're one of the employees of the franchise of heaven. I don't know if your job is to make the fries in the back. I don't know. <laughs> but you're on, you're, one, you're on the staff. You are the soldiers manning the fort of the outpost of grace. It's you and me. Like We're the ones that Jesus sent. To do what he did. And so we, if you were following along in the 21 days of prayer and fasting, one of the verses this week was from 1 John. And 1 John said, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. In other words, do what Jesus did. And so if Jesus met needs, then you meet needs. And if Jesus' mission was to reach the lost, then your mission is to reach the lost. And if Jesus didn't ever condemn anybody and express heaven's disappointment, then you aren't here to do that either. Whatever Jesus does, we do. Now, Matthew chapter 9, this passage that we looked at today, is uh, an example of Jesus in action meeting needs. And it, it just shows us 
um, how we're supposed to approach life, how we're meant to approach life if we're a follower of Jesus. And, and honestly, I'm going to take you through this just really quickly um, through these verses in Matthew chapter 9 all the way through the beginning of the chapter to where we read at the end of the chapter. And, and what, what's going on in Matthew chapter 9 is just one thing after another. You're, you're almost kind of meant to get the sense that this all happened in a day and that if you were around Jesus, this is just the kind of thing that happened all the time. And so what happens at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9 is Jesus is coming off of a boat and it's almost like Matthew says that he steps onto the dry ground, boom, and he's hit with a knee, bam. Uh, he gets his feet out of the boat, he, he hits, the, hits the ground and then there's this guy that's brought to him that's paralyzed. Now, you need to understand, in that day there was no, uh, there was no act saying that here, if you have a disability, here's a special parking place for you. If you had a disability and someone didn't come along and make sure your needs were met, you were toast. I mean, you were nothing. You had, if you couldn't move, you couldn't move. And so here's this overwhelming physical situation. What's Jesus going to do? I mean, what's, how's he going to respond to this overwhelming need? What, what's, what would the Christ-like thing to do here? Put yourself in the scenario. Someone comes to you and they're like, hey, I'm paralyzed and I don't know what to do. Well, how do you feel? We, see, we get racked with guilt over these kinds of things. I, I, the, where my mind goes is, is to walking down Michigan Avenue and you see someone with the sign. You, you know what I'm saying? You've been there? You're like, oh, I'm walking down Michigan Avenue. Look at that expensive store. And, that, and, and people are just blowing past that person. And we get racked with guilt. Like, oh, I ought to do something. Maybe, should I let them come and live in my home? What am I supposed to do here? Is that we, don't, we don't quite know what to do. Um, what, what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to move this guy into his house? What would you do? Well, Jesus just heals him. And then, bam, next scene happens. And he, he, he's walking, and there's this guy, different kind of need, because there's all different kinds of needs. And he sees Matthew, who's a tax collector. In other words, he's one of the hated people. And he says, Matthew, follow me. And he does. And so Jesus goes, and he has dinner with this guy. And, and Matthew says that there were many tax collectors and sinners, meaning those were the wrong kind of people, and Jesus got judged by the church people over it. And, and so here's the need. Someone, need. someone is living in a sinful lifestyle of oppression, and Jesus welcomes that person. Doesn't, again, not, he doesn't throw stones of condemnation. And then, bam, the next scene. And there's this Bible theology debate breaks out over fasting and what the right way to do it is. And so there's this need for understanding. And Jesus explains what they need to understand. And then, bam, there's this next scene. There's this, this ruler, a, a religious ruler. It'd be someone like me, someone in a position like, like I have. And, and, and he comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter just died. And what, what do you do if someone you look up to or think is supposed to be a spiritual leader suffers? You're like, whoa, I don't even know what to do. You're supposed to know what to do. I don't know what to do. And what, what do you say? Like, how do you, how do you solve that? And so Jesus immediately, he goes with the man. And then on his way there, this woman grabs his cloak and is like, hey, Jesus. And she's had this issue for 12 years. She's been to all kinds of doctors and she can't, uh, she can't find a, a healing for her situation. And Jesus heals her. And then he goes and there's the little girl who's died. And he says, no, 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 don't worry, guys. She's just asleep and raises her from the dead. I mean, this physic, overwhelming physical need. And then bam, the next scene, uh, Jesus is accosted by these two blind men. Again, they're paralyzed. They got no one. And they say, you know, Jesus, have mercy on us. You know, no, in other words, nobody pays any attention to us, Jesus. I don't, we don't know how we're going to have this need met. And Jesus heals them. And then bam, right after that, there's this demon-possessed guy. And uh, Jesus drives the demon out. And, and now listen, honestly, if you read this whole passage, if you were put yourself in the scene of the day, me at this point, I would be so overwhelmed 
by the, the need, I would be crippled by my inability to do anything, and I would be in a fetal position on the floor sucking my thumb. And I'm like, well, I can't do anything. <laughs> but Jesus is like, bam! Like, this is all in a day's work for Jesus. Bam, 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 bam! And it seems like Jesus hardly flinches. He's a need-meeting machine, and he meets every specific need with the love of God in its many forms. Now, what you'll notice if you, if you kind of look at this passage, this whole chapter that we're kind of meant to take together as a whole, is that Jesus' response was immediate. That word's used several times, immediately. He's not overwhelmed. He's not frustrated. He's not too busy. He's not helpless. He's not weak. I mean, I'm like, give me some of that Jesus juice. I, I could take some of that because I can't do that. Surely you and I aren't called to do this kind of thing, right, Jesus? That's just your stuff. And Jesus is like, not so fast. And then he gives us this passage, this, this message at the end of the chapter that we read. Listen, listen to what he says. Listen to it again. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, there's a harvest. There's plenty of it. There just aren't enough people willing to go in and take it. So what we're to do and what I'm asking of you and I'm asking of me is we're asking the Lord of the harvest to send in workers. See, the harvest, if you read it in context of Matthew chapter 9, is all of these different human needs in all of their forms. That's where God is doing his reaping. That's the thing that he's like, yeah, that's where I do my best work, is in the middle of raw human need that overwhelms everybody. That's where I do my thing, man. That's where I, that's where I make it happen. Now, remember what we said at the very beginning of this series, that ministry is just meeting needs? Jesus is talking to you and me, and he's commissioning us to go into the harvest field. Will we take it? So I want to give you, uh, I want to give you five shifts that ministers, you, need to make to be more like Jesus. Five shifts. Here's the first one. Five, move, five moves. Um, you're going to have to move from a mindset of just getting by to I'm on a mission. Man, I don't know. I, I, uh, this last week, um, you can put this on public record. Um, I, I hate e-learning. Um, <laughs> uh, my kids are at home. We're all, you know, we wanted to... At least I wanted to kill all my children and eat them. Like by the end of the week, I I was so overwhelmed. In all honesty, I was so overwhelmed. I feel like someone stole a week of my life. That's what that feels like. It's like I can't ever get that back. Uh, you can quote me on that. Um, but that's how we see ourselves, isn't it? For most of life, like we're overwhelmed, and we're just 
barely getting by. How in the world could we add on to that anything else where we would help anybody else? And, and what we do when we do that is we're defining ourselves by the demands on us and we're reacting to life instead of acting on life. And the shift is what God calls us to, which is to change our mindset and say that we, I'm on a mission and so the needs are the harvest field. And what we do is we stand in the middle of need and we feel completely overwhelmed. But let me give you a different picture. It's like... Jesus, when he sees the need, he's, he's like a farmer out in the middle of a ripe wheat field with the sun shining, and he's walking through the wheat field, feeling the tops of the ripe grain with his face up to the sun, saying, oh, this is going to be so good. And he invites us to have that same, but see, it requires a mindset shift to I'm on a mission. Now, if you were sent somewhere on a mission by any organization or agency, governmental, nonprofit, church, whatever, you're going to maybe sent to another country, and everything you do while you are there is part of the mission. When you eat, it's part of the mission. When you rest, it's part of the mission. Uh, when you do the actual thing you were asked to do, that's part of the mission. It's all, it's all part. So it, it's a mental shift where we say, oh, wait, 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 wait. I got to take a break so that I have something to give to people. That's part of the mission. So you have to shift your mindset to I'm, not, not, I'm just barely getting by to I am on a mission from God. Second move is you've got to move from being jaded to having compassion. I mean, it's the truth, isn't it? Can we be honest for a second? That when someone comes to us with a need, um, we sometimes go, really? It's a pretty routine thing that people will come by uh, the church office during the week and they'll come in with some story. I, I don't know why. I've heard this story a lot. I've heard it in multiple states. I don't know if this story just makes its rounds, but I need a bus ticket to Atlanta. I don't know why you need a bus ticket to but I've heard that like... And so are there some people who, have, who are gaming the system? Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. I'm, 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 again, not in the position of condemning that person. What got them to the place where they felt like that was their only option and no one would actually believe their story? Did they get in, did they get in the, the mode of no one will actually believe my story, so if I make up this other story, maybe I can get what I actually need because I'm too embarrassed or I'm too, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know. I don't, have the, I don't have the stone to throw at that person. But in all honesty, we're, we're kind of jaded, aren't we? And so we've got to make a shift from being jaded to having compassion. Compassion means uh, to suffer with. That's the root meanings of compassion. With suffering. To, to suffer along with, with somebody else. And, and here's, here's, here's what that means practically. Is that means that you have to let your heart be broken by people's needs. You have to develop a soft heart. But then I'll feel like I have to do something. Isn't that the point? <laughs> and, and we'll need to apply wisdom, and we can't meet every need. I'm not Jesus, neither are you, but together we are the body of Christ. And I'm playing team ball with other Christians. But if my heart's jaded, and your 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 heart's jaded, and, and, and we, then well, here's what happens when that happens we expect the church. The organization that's usually underfunded to do it. Like, I don't, that's, that's your job. But when we all have compassion, then we're all playing a part in this. Third move move from being a consumer to being a contributor. 
See, we've got to move from expecting to receive to expecting to give. Now, we're, we're conditioned to receive. We're, we are consumers. Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple, Samsung, Wendy's, Myers, McDonald's, Strachan Van Til, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks. Dunkin' Donuts coffee is way better. Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks. All of those companies, you know what they're, they're conditioning us to do? Like through all of their marketing and the millions and billions of dollars. They're conditioning us to expect that when we show up, we'll receive something. And then if we don't like it, we post online. They really were terrible today. And, and what a consumer culture does is it conditions us to be frustrated so that they can profit off us. Could I just take the blinders off for a second, recognize what's happening. And, and so we're conditioned to expect to be the recipient, not the giver. And what I'm saying, the shift we have to make is, is oh, no, no, wait. I'm not first a consumer. I'm a contributor. This is my mission, too. I own this. I am responsible. It is mine. This is my church. These are the needs that I am called to meet as part of it. God entrusted it to me. And see, the lie of, the, of consumer culture is that we all think because we consume something good that we have done something good, right? You can think that you came here and you heard somebody talk about the Bible. Oh, man, that really got me. Point number three. Woo! I didn't know about that. You consume something good. And so the lie that we're taught by consumer culture is because you consume something good therefore you have done something good and the shift is no no you do good when you do good <laughs> you have to contribute you have to you have to say i'm part of this is mine i own this it's a it's a shift you have to make here's the fourth shift you have to move from being closed off to being open and what i'm praying today is that god does a supernatural work in your mind and your heart that moves you from i don't want to to i get to I get to be an agent of reconciliation. I get to help people. I get to be a person who brings peace. I get to minister in Jesus' name. Oh, God, do this in me. Move me from being closed off to being open. Fifth shift, fifth shift that you have to make. You say that fast twice in a row. Move from being too busy to making sure that I have some margin in my life. Can I just say something to you that are parents and you want the best for your children? I think it's awesome. I have three children, my wife and I, and, and we love them more than anything. And, I, I, and there's nothing I care more about than the development and growth of their character and maturity. Um, something I notice that parents do often is they think the way to mature and bring character to their children is to involve them in endless amounts of activity. And endless sport thing. There's nothing wrong with playing ball. I'm not, please, I'm not, I'm not kind of dog on ball. I'm just, like, like you're in this thing and you're in this thing and, the, and you pay all this money and you travel all this distance and you get a hotel room and you, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to dog on that. I'm just simply saying, is that really going to grow their character? I, I mean, you're so busy with them that there is, no margin. Here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. There's no margin to help anybody else because you're so, you've so jam-packed your schedule and you and I have to leave blank space in our week so that we can actually help someone. Now, I, I got to say also something to single parents because you're at this point, you're like, what? I, I'm like, I'm barely, like, head above water. Oh, my gosh. 
I, I just want to tell you, raising your kids and going to work is meeting needs, and do your best where you are with what you have if you're a single parent. It's okay. It's where you're at right now. It's your season. But the, the way that we help people is that we have some margin in our life. Margin in our schedule, margin in our finances. So we have to move from being, I'm, I'm too busy, to I'm actually planning to have margin in my life. Here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm trying to say. Um, one of my favorite authors, his name's Brennan Manning, and Brennan Manning um, tells his stories. He, he passed away a few years ago. Um, but he said there's a, there's a move that we all have to make, and this is the move I'm asking you to make. It, he said when you become a, a person who is growing up, who is a, who is a minister, who meets people's needs, uh, you, you make this move from walking into all the rooms of your life and in effect saying, here I am, check me out, <laughs> to walking into rooms saying some version of, oh, I'm just asking you to make that shift. Um, on your seat, when you came in, is this, uh, this sheet of paper, and it has a big, gracious God at the top. Um, I want you to take this home. I want you to put it up on your mirror in your bathroom, and I want you to read it, because this is a, a prayer I'm asking us to pray as a church together, and as an act of uh, a commitment to God to say, I, I'm going to own the co-mission that you have given, given me. God, I'm going to make these shifts. It's going to take me a bit, but I'm going to make these shifts. Uh, I'm going to ask us to, to pray this together. And, and the question I have is, I got, I got three really simple questions because um, if it's not you, then who? Uh, if it's not here, then where? If it's not now, when? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer with me together as an act of commitment. And then we're going to receive communion, and the, the, the band's going to come up right now if they would. Um, but I'll, I'll walk you through that. We're going to do that a little bit differently uh, today, the different mindset as we do that. But would you, um, with me, read this aloud? This will not be on the screen, so make sure you have this piece of paper. If you're on Facebook Live, we'll, we'll post this in the comments so you can see what this is. But pray this with me. You ready? And read it out loud. Gracious God, give me a church that reaches every person we are called to reach. Give me a church with every seat filled, every service, with people hungry for you. Give me a church where every person is serving, giving, and in a group. Give me a church where every person goes through the on-ramp. Give me a church where every person has a growth plan. Give me a church where every person is being raised up to be a Christ-like leader who makes it in the region as it is in heaven. Give me a church that will influence the influencers. Give me a church with deep love, profound community, overflowing joy, spiritual depth, sincere authenticity, a hunger for you and your word, and is filled with your Holy Spirit. Give me a church who welcomes the lost seeks out the young, heals the wounded, and feeds the hungry. Give me a church that is heaven-bent on being the church in the world, solving the problems of our day with humility and wisdom. 
Give me a church who is one of the most explosive and life-giving churches the world has ever seen. O great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, give me this church. O God, build this church here among us. O God, may Real Life Community Church be this church. I make all that I am available to your plan and purpose. Use me to make this prayer a reality. In Jesus' name. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples in a meal, and they broke bread together, and Jesus took the bread, and at one point during the meal, and he broke it, and he said, this represents my body that's broken for you. And in the same way, he took a cup, and he lifted the cup up, and when you come, you can just dip the bread into the cup, and he said, this, this symbolizes my, my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Now, um, when, when we do this, we remember Jesus' death until he comes, the Apostle Paul says. We're remembering what Jesus did for us, but we're also remembering what Jesus did as an example for us. Because if we follow Jesus, we do what he did, and he was broken for the needs of the world. And so here's what I'd like you to do as you come down to take uh, communion. And we're just going gonna to sing, the band's going to play something, we're not going to sing, but the band's just going to play in just a second. And, and I'm going to invite you to come down and receive these elements of the Lord's Supper. Remember that Christ died for you, that he was broken for you. But I want you to remember that he was broken for you, not only for you in your place, but as an example to you of how now you are to live your life. And you are now to go, you and I are now the body of Christ. We're to be broken for the needs of the world. So as you receive these elements, I want you to say, okay, God, what you've done for me, I'm willing to let you do through me for other people this week in the next seven days so would you stand with me i'm going to pray then um you just you can come down and as you you exit it will be the blessing will be that you are now sent as the body of christ into the world to love the world in the same way that he loved it let me pray for you god thank you that you were broken for us our value is never in question some of us just need to hear that. We try so hard to earn acceptance and love. We need to hear the beautiful word of your grace that says you love us. Where we are, like we are, as we are. God, help us to also hear the beautiful word that calls us beyond that to meet the needs of the people around us in your name, Jesus. We want to be those kinds of people. In, it, in meeting the needs of people, as we're broken people trying to do this, I, I know is our healing too. And so uh, we're, we're committing ourselves today as we receive these elements to be your people in the world who do what you did in the world with your power and with your spirit. And so we thank you for what you've done for us. Empower us now to do that for others. I pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. Come as you